So James 1, starting in verse 19, we are going through this book. And I, I always am challenged every time I go back uh, by this letter that Jesus' half-brother James wrote. Uh, I like it because... He, he doesn't waste a lot of time. You, there are not really very many hard things in the book of James to figure out. You know, you go into the book of Romans, and there are some things there that kind of twist your brain around a little bit, trying to figure out exactly what Paul says. And that's okay because if you feel that way, because the Apostle Peter said, I don't understand everything Paul wrote either. So I figure it's okay. It's biblical to be confused by Paul. But James is is pretty clear and pretty pretty straightforward. Not everybody likes the book, and I'm aware of that. Some people, oh, not that one again, because he's so straightforward. But that's why we need it, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, by the will of God, decided that in our Scriptures, we needed some straightforward talk every now and then. That's why you have some of the minor prophets. It's why you have some of what Isaiah and Jeremiah wrote. It's why some of the Psalms exist. It's why Jesus came. Some of what Jesus said, you know, everybody thinks about Jesus as nice, kind, loving, and he's all those things. But they forget that sometimes he also had to be very firm and very straightforward and even rebuking. And uh, his brother saw him do that. And when he sat down to write this letter to these Christians... Jewish Christians scattered throughout the Gentiles. He writes a letter trying to get them to realize that it's not all just the blessed are verses. There's a lot of our life that is still left broken, still left messed up and still in desperate need of repair. And that all of those things start with our decision and our commitment to let God change them within us. And so he writes a letter that's pretty straightforward about some of the things that that change, some of the things that just are are compatible and incompatible with being a disciple of Jesus. And so that's we're going to pick up on some of those today here in 19 to 27. We'll start just reading through these. And this will be from the English Standard Version. And I apologize. I only just now remembered that I should have put that on the U version. I didn't do it. I completely forgot. I'm sorry. But if you go there, they were making fun of me at the small group the other night because I changed translations all the time. And that's, I don't know, I like different translations for different passages and think some bring out a verse more than others. And so I do, guilty as charged. And sometimes it's to match my shirt. But not today. Not today. This has deeper, deeper reasons. See? Blue compliment screen, but it doesn't match. All right. So, James chapter 1, verse 19, English Standard Version. Know this, my, be- Oops. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness With meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only for deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the man or the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but dece- excuse me, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's not a very long passage, but it is a packed passage. So I want to look at, at several things that are going on here. And he starts with, we would think of it maybe as, as the things that, that deal with the tongue. He's going to come back to that one, James is, in chapter 2. But he does start there, but the tongue doesn't itself start, does it? In our, in our mouth, our words don't begin in our mouth, they begin in our hearts. So in 119, he says, first, I want you to know this. And this is like when your parent tells you, I want you to remember this. You need to know this. And what do you what do you know when they say that? Pay attention, right? That's when all of a sudden you stood up and you and your eyes open and ears open. And kindergarten teachers like to say full body listening, right? You're going to pay attention to that one because this is going to be the important thing. And that's what James is trying to get us to do. He says, you know, this be quick to what? Here, you go. Yeah, I want you all to actually do it now. Quick to hear or quick to listen. Why? <laughs> Why? I, I, can, I know this room pretty well. This is a room full of talkers, right? That's why every time, it's a good thing in some ways, uh, it's a room full of talkers. And when we get ready to do announcements and stuff like that, how many of you here are quick to hear? Everybody who raised their hands a liar, don't be raising your hand. You're not quick to hear, are you? We are not quick to hear. No, because what are we usually doing? We got something that's on our mind and we got to spit it out before before it's too late, before our mind goes somewhere else and thinks of something else to say. Right. But that's not what the spirit says to us this morning. The spirit says, shut your mouth every now and then, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes. It. Well, you didn't want to answer because you were trying to shut your mouth. But this is that's OK. That's fair. But yes, the spirit every now and then just wants us to be quiet and listen. And a lot of the times, that's actually when we're dealing with other people. And too often, what is the only thing on our mind when somebody else is talking? How we're going to respond. We're thinking about what we're going to say, or we're, we're, we're reacting in our head to something they've just said, and we can't even wait till they're done to get it out, right? And that's really bad. I'm going to tell you, that's really bad if you've ever lived in New York. Because you know what you do in New York when you think of something while somebody's talking? You say it. You say it. And you don't even have to know them. You can be going down the street. It's a weird, weird thing to Texans and Californians. It's pretty much just an eastern seaboard thing that if you can be walking by, you don't even know the people. Okay, You don't know who they are. You don't even necessarily know what they're talking about. You just hear the word sandwich. Right. You're walking by. You hear sandwich. You know what a New Yorker does? You need to go over and you need and they start telling where to go find the best sandwich. They don't even know what they were talking about, but they heard a sandwich. And that's what you do. And it's not rude there. It's polite because, you know what, that's how you find out about a good sandwich. Strangers, they just come up and tell you things. What does the Spirit say? Quick to hear, quick to listen, not quick to speak. That fights everything within us a lot of the time, doesn't it? We even spend time, humans do, we spend time thinking about how conversations that are going to go that we don't even know if we're going to have them, don't we? How many times have you caught yourself wondering, did I say that to them or did I think about saying that to them when I was thinking about what they were going to say to me when I said something else to them? You know, you do that. You're driving down the car, driving down the car. 
That's weird. You're driving down the road in your car and you just imagining all these different conversations or you're thinking back to conversations you had that day about things you could have said. And that's one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes. George Costanza comes is trying to come up with a comeback for this guy that's really quick witted and he can't do it except when he's in the car. And so he turns back around, gets in a plane, flies all the way back to another city so he can go back and finally get in his perfect response to the guy saying, you know, the jerk store called and they want you back. That was what the guy had said. And finally, he comes back with the shrimp store called and it wasn't even a good comeback, but. He flew back because we replay conversations in our heads all the time. And we miss during our replays and during our previews. We miss what's actually said. And we react sometimes, don't we, to our replays and our previews, not to what somebody actually did. Have you ever done that? Yes. The answer is yes. The honest answer is yes. Where you already thought... This is where they're coming from. This is what they meant. And this is probably what they're going to say to me the next time. So I'm going to preemptively bomb Iraq. No, I mean, I'm going to preemptively get them. And we don't even know what they were really often meaning the first time or going to say the second time. But boy, are we ready and loaded to bear. And the Spirit says, stop that. Just don't do that. Instead, be quicker to listen, quicker to hear, slow to speak, slow to react. It's wise, isn't it? Slow to speak and slow to anger. Uh, We're going to do sometime this next year a series specifically about that last one. Slow to anger. We're going to do a series on a book called Unoffendable. If you want to go ahead and read it before then, fine. It's really, really good about how quick we are always to just jump to being angry and about how Christians write ourselves the excuse of, well, yeah, but it's right to be angry about some things. And so then we think that lets us be angry about everything. And the spirit said, no, slow to anger. And he goes further and says, and anger doesn't even bring about what God wants in your life. If anger doesn't bring about what God wants for our life, why do we season our lives with so much anger? Why do we let that dwell so much? Why do we chew on it so much? And we do. All of us, we do. Why do we do that? We know that the one thing it will do is take us away from what God had planned for us. And yet we dwell and we build and we we just keep letting it fester. Well, James says this. He says, OK, since that doesn't bring about what God wants, since you need to be slow to speak and, and or quick, slow to speak and quick to hear and they're out of order and slow to anger. There's some things you're going to have to get rid of. That's the way the spirit works and it? it's the way the word of God works. He constantly tells us, listen, to get to where you want to be, there's some there's some extra baggage you've got. You're going to have to get rid of. And he starts very practically with this stuff. He says, first, I want you to put away some stuff. I want you to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word filthiness and rampant wickedness. We probably none of us would define ourselves that way, would we? He doesn't write to the people out in the world really wicked, what we would call wicked people and say this. Remember, James is writing to the church and to Christians, to brothers and sisters, to you and to me. And he says to us, I want you to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. We would say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And we'd be wrong, wouldn't we? Filthiness isn't just... Uh, 
whatever worst thing you can think of. I don't want to go into examples. It's, it's everything that stains us and warps our being made in the image of God. Everything. All sin. All desires that are contrary to God's will. It may be the desire to say that thing you've been practicing in the car that you know would just be a great zinger and tear somebody down to size, which you think they need, but with the Spirit may have another idea. All of those forms of our not being like Jesus. Filthiness, aren't they? Every way in which our heart would say no to God and yes to self. Filthiness. Rampant wickedness. Wickedness that's just taken over. Ways in which we no longer think like Jesus, but think a lot like the world that stands opposed to Jesus. He says, you get rid of that. You change the way you think. Change the way you react. Change the things that you dwell on. Maybe change the language and the words that you use. Because there are some things that have to go. The reason I don't want to be specific, too specific, is this. Each of us, as unique as we are in good ways, is also unique. We are unique in the ways in which we are weak. And we all know. We have that list in our heads of things we've had to spend time confessing to the Lord. That's, that's your list. That's the thing. This is what he's talking to. He says, get rid of it. Just get rid of it. All those struggles, you hand those over to the Lord and get rid of them. Now, he never tells us to get rid of without replacing. This things that, one of the things I think is beautiful about the Word of God. He always then says, if I'm going to tell you to get rid of something, I'm going to fill that void. Because we know nature does not like a void, does it? And, and so what happens? We just, if Jesus said this, if we get rid of stuff and we don't put good back in its place, what happens? The devil comes back with friends. That's how Jesus put it. He says, you drive out a demon and you don't fill that house with good things, there's still room for the devil and he'll take it and he'll bring friends. And so this, the word always says, you get rid of this, put it back in. What does he say to put back in here? You can look at your Bibles. What, what does he say to put back in there? He did not say orange jello with carrots. It's not there. He didn't even say chicken fried steak, which I like. It's not in there. What did he say to fill you that void in your heart with? I need it loud this morning. Those are things, but not right here. He's pretty specific. Sorry? The Word. He says, I want you to fill that void with the Word which God planted within you. The Word of God. Okay? So, if you're not spending time in the Scriptures, if you're not in the Word, you can't fill that void with it, can you? And so that's part of our struggle. Is that we get so busy, we don't read and we don't look and we don't know what's even there. And we can't fill those gaps with more gaps. We have to fill that void with the Word of God. He says, if you want to change the way that you react, you want to change the way that you deal with your anger, and if you want to change the way that you stop and listen to other people, here's how you do it. You get into the Word of God. You start letting that work on you and work on your heart and work on your mind and start working on the way that you do react to people and situations and things. Look over at Ephesians chapter 4. This won't be up there. You'll have to flip. Ephesians chapter 4, what did I write down? Verse 25. This is Paul talking on a lot of the same things, also writing to Christians. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, that would be one of the things on Paul's list. He would tell you is part of that filthiness. 
and rampant wickedness, dishonesty. He says, put, that's not just dishonesty, falsehood. It can also be hypocrisy. It can also be flattery. Get rid of all that junk. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, that's where we sometimes feel like, see, he even said, be angry. I'm going to tell you, the best translation of that is not just be angry. Okay, it is you're going to be angry. That's going to happen. That doesn't make it okay. And I'm not making that up because of what Paul goes on to say. Uh, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up or good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If you want something to think about while you're in the car, if you want to preview conversations, if you want to go back and replay and think, how could I have said that better? That's okay. That's okay. But do it with a Jesus mission is what Paul is saying. Go back and figure out what could I have said that would have given them grace? What could I have said that would have shown them forgiveness? What could I have said that would have encouraged them and strengthened them? Because the mouth can be used for God's work. Okay? And if we will spend that time that we want to dwell on our words on good things, that's all right. The Spirit will use that. In each one of these examples, he says, stop the sin, and then he gives them something to do. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And this is what I was talking about. Now, we will use be angry and do not sin as permission to be as angry as we want to be. I can stomp, I can scream, I can kick, I can throw. I can be a two-year-old in a 46-year-old body because the Lord told me I could. No, He didn't. He didn't. And if you've tried to baptize temper tantrums, shame on you. That's what the Scripture says. Because how, Am I making that up? No, because we just read it. What do you say? Verse 31. Let all bitterness. How much of it? All. All bitterness. All wrath. And all anger. That all applies to all those words, doesn't it, grammar teachers? All bitterness. All wrath. And all anger. And clamor. And slander. Bad things you're going to say about each other. Clamor is just yip-yap. That's the biblical term for yip-yap. Everything that you're saying negative about everybody else, anger, bitterness, wrath, all of it. He says, get rid of it. You know, uh, Dana Carvey, hilarious comedian, great at impersonations. One of his absolute most famous impersonations, besides George Bush, is what? Church lady, right? The church lady. I love those church lady scenes. But you know what I don't like about... Dana Carvey's church lady, I know that lady. I know that lady about 563 times over. I know church lady. Church lady thinks be angry and do not sin is licensed to do everything that Paul just said in verse 31 is contrary to the will of God and grieves the Holy Spirit of God. 
You know, we like to pull verses out and not read them in context. We'll read, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And people will say, you know, well, the Lord told the spirit told me that I'm supposed to do this. And if you tell me I can't do it, that's grieving the Holy Spirit of God. No, in context, grieving the Holy Spirit of God is when we decide we're going to hold on to our anger. We're going to hold on to our bitterness. We're going to stoke those flames and we're just going to have logorrhea. Y'all know what that means, right? No, diarrhea of the mouth. I was going to be politer. I tried to be polite with that term in small group one time. It didn't work there either. Logorrhea is just a nice way of saying diarrhea of the mouth. And we just want to whoom. That's all that junk out there because it's in us and we think everybody ought to see it. And the Holy Spirit said, no, let it go. Don't do it. Let go of all those things. Get rid of all those things. And instead, you take the implanted word of God and let that be what informs your speech. Let that be what changes your reaction. Let that be what fixes your mood. And you see how that starts to change things around you and change people around you. That's what real faith is. When the Spirit starts to really take root in who we are and how we act. And that is always going to change the way that we speak. I did have it up there. Well, sorry, I had an Alzheimer's moment. It was there. All right. Well, anyway, let's look at verses 22 and 25 of James again. <clears throat> James 1, 22 and 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I've had that happen, too. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> the uh, it's reading the word of God, though. So, you know, who can complain? It's not a phone. Or not a not a ringtone. The uh, what he's trying to get us to really understand is do this right up here. Doing really is why we became Christians in the first place. It really is that we didn't just want to receive a, a forgiveness and receive heaven. We wanted to be and do like Jesus. That was the commitment we made when we were baptized into Christ. That we were going to follow Him and live like Him and love like Him and do like Him. And that's every purpose of who we are. James says when we don't do that, it's like we're reading our Bible. Is it, it becomes nothing but like looking in a mirror. And we look in the mirror and we walk away and we don't even know what we look like. Now, for some of us, we might consider that a blessing. Okay? Look in the mirror. Ho, oh, oh, You know, some of us might have forgotten because what we saw shocked us and it put it back into traumatic zone of our brain where we don't want to deal with it. But you walk away and you don't even know. What's he getting at there? He means we looked, we saw what needed to change, and we forgot. We didn't change it. We didn't fix it. And so you look in there this morning. I had a new cereal. Okay, I, I like try different things, new cereals and stuff like that now and then. I get bored with just the same old cereal. And so I went to Aldi. I got some. It was a coconut and chia granola stuff. And, and I'm hoping that it does like a chia pet right back here on my head. You know, that was the idea. Maybe you rub the cereal on your head. You chia 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 chia. But 
I, I pour a bowl. I'm going to fall off this thing. I poured my bowl of cereal this morning, and the first thing Tanya says to me about it is, "You know that she is going to stick in your teeth." <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? You get the little chia green thing starts spreading out your mouth in the morning. That's not going to be pretty for anybody. Well, James says if you just read your Bible, but you never actually start changing the way that you act and react in your life, that's just like that. You looked in the mirror and you saw chia, chia, pepper, and basil. That's not all in the cereal, by the way. There's no basil. But you see all these things in there and you walk off and you just forget all about it. Next thing you know, where are you? You're in some meeting at work and people start asking you, why are you growing that garden up in the front row right there? What's, what's going on there? You will never, you will never, if all that's up in there, you're never going to hear those words from the Song of Solomon. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep all standing in a row. Isn't that romantic? That's what King Solomon thought was the best thing to say to his wife in the morning. But compared to your teeth are like sheep come up from a muddy hole, that's better, right? I guess that would be the alternative. And James says, if you don't actually start to change, if it's just going to church and checking a box and you're still the same person 10 years from now, it's like you looked in the mirror and you saw the basil, the oregano and the chia seeds. And by the time you got to your toothbrush, you couldn't remember why you were there. And he's not talking Alzheimer's or dementia or memory loss. He's saying, Christians, you are that distracted in your life a lot of the time. And, you know, honestly, most of us forget to take care of what we see in the mirror, not because of memory loss. It's usually because we were distracted sometimes by what we were talking about a minute ago. We got to thinking so hard about what we were going to have to deal with at work. We were already responding to somebody who didn't even say anything yet. And we forgot that when we go and have our little conversation with the person at work, all they're going to be thinking is cha-cha-cha-chia as they look at our teeth, you know. And so James said, that's no good. You've got to grow. You've got to change. Put this stuff into action because that's the only way any of it ever really works and religion kind of religion in the bad way in a way that our world is tired of is the kind that james is talking about where we read the bible we sing the songs we pray the prayers but our neighbors know we don't do any of it that's just empty it's not just distracted it's not just forgetful it's empty and it's he goes so far as to say it's pointless it's worthless that's not what God wants at all. Instead, real faith jumps up and says, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to see that change. And I want to see it in me. I want to see it in my home. I want to see it everywhere I go. And I want to join you in the work that you're doing. A lot of times we want God to join us in what we're doing. But real faith says, God, what are you up to? And how can I be a part of that? I want to go and be with you and for you. Let's look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Does that challenge you? It challenges me. If you think you're religious, if you think you're faithful, if you think you're a Christian, but you don't control the things that you say, it's all worthless. We might want to write off a few excuses, right? Well, I know I say some things I shouldn't say, but I do a lot of good too. Did he say that? He didn't say that. Instead, he would probably point us back to some words of Jesus who said, some of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? Didn't I feed the poor? Didn't I do that? Didn't I, I drove out demons in your name, Jesus. 
How come I don't get to go to heaven? And Jesus looks at the person and says, I don't even know who you are. Why would Jesus say that? He's not being picky. He's not being petty. He's not playing favorites. He's saying it because there will be those who thought that just doing the to-do list, but still holding on to the way that they think about people and being ugly to people and being angry to people and slandering people and gossiping about people would be okay. And it's not true. It's just not true. Let's look over at Matthew twelve thirty-seven. I'm going to go back up to verse 34. Well, I'm going to go back to 33 and get a little context. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Does that speak to what James is trying to tell us anyway? That everything has to change from our heart inward as the Word and the Spirit change who we are and how we are? And then it changes our words and changes our actions. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart. Some translations, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. Brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Does that scare you as much as it scares me? Because I'll be honest, I find that a little bit scary. Okay? So I, I thank the Lord for His grace. Otherwise, this kind of thing can make you stay up all night long, wouldn't it? For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We live in a world that constantly tells us our words aren't what matter, only the things we do. And yet we have Jesus saying both of them have to be right. Both of them have to be valuable. Both of them have to reflect the image and the will of God. Both of them have to be in line with the Holy Spirit. It's not words or deeds. It's words and deeds if you want to be like Jesus. And yes, words matter. We try, to, we try to diminish the power of words, and we know it's a futile argument. We know it's, it doesn't work, but we still try. We try to, to say things like, every parent says it at some point, you know, the thing about uh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But we know it's a lie, don't we? We know some of the things that will hurt our children the most in their life will be words. There aren't actually that many people who throw sticks and stones at your kids, but there are kids who throw words at them. Every single day. I was joking with one of the kids yesterday about how you talk about parenting, parent sayings 101. If you keep making that face, it's going to stick like that. Only I didn't say it quite like that. I, had, I was joking with one of them that if, 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 what would you do if your face broke and you had to look at that the rest of your day? And the other kid spoke up and said, well, first, we'd have to take her out of school. And I said, What? He said, well, we'd have to take her out of school. He said, most of those kids are too mean to anybody who looks different like that. It's the truth, wasn't it? Because this kid wasn't joking. She was serious. Isn't that sad? We know we live in a world where words do hurt and words do effectively kill. There are a lot of people who contemplate and even commit suicide based on a lot of words, a lot of things that were said or were replayed and replayed and replayed in their heads. Words really do matter. And Jesus tells us they matter so much. 
It's salvational. Salvational. Meaning it affects, am I right with God or not? In the way that I speak, in the words that I speak, and in the, in the things that I share with people. That makes it eternally important. What comes from the abundance of our heart. It's also revealing. Because we want to say that, well, our words don't really, that, that's not really who I am. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Verse 27. Religion is a word with a lot of baggage, isn't it? And it, can, it has a lot of positive. It also has some negatives. And I really believe strongly that if religion was always in the context of this verse, nobody would ever be against it. I don't think anybody could be. Let's read it again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Real, authentic faith looks out for those who are vulnerable, looks out for those who are lonely, looks out for those who need encouragement and builds them up. Okay? None of us are perfect in this, but we sure as a church family are striving to make it so that in our community, this is what people will start hearing when they hear the word religion. That's an uphill battle, and we know that, don't we? But this is what we want people to think when they hear that. When somebody says, I'm a Christian, we don't want them to think hypocrite or judgmental or harsh. We want them to think this. Those are people who look out for the kids in our community. Those are the people who look out for the widow and the lonely in our community. Those are people whose lives look completely different from all of the mess and brokenness in our world. And they're not snotty and judgmental or harsh about it. They're trying to help us get there too. I think that'd change people's perception big time, wouldn't it? On whether or not they wanted to be part of Christianity and religion. And it says this is what it is to God. And this whole message that James has given us in these verses is let me show you what God wants so you can be a part of that. And it'll change the world. And it'll change you. We first have to surrender Submitting ourselves to God and say, Lord, I hadn't been doing that right at all. <laughs> That's the truth, isn't it? That's what confession is all about. God, I hadn't been doing that right at all. But I know that you can help me get there. And I'm willing to lay all this down. And I'm willing to let you change from in here who I am. That's the message of our baptism, isn't it? It's surrender. God, I hadn't been doing it right, but I know you will. I'm giving this all to you. And he buries us and the old man or the old woman dies and his sins are washed away. And we're raised up to a whole new life, a new way of life where everything is different in the best way possible. There's challenges. There's hills to climb. There's a devil that's going to put a target on your back. But God is with those who lay their lives down and are raised in the name of Jesus. His Spirit is within those who surrender their lives to Him. And that he raises back to a new life. And he will help us get there. 